The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Lee Edwards and it's good to be back with you. Kay was supposed to be here today, but she's caught the lurgy. Or she's still getting over the disappointment of the Watford game from Sunday. Who knows? <laughs> uh, we'll find out more about that later on. Joining me is freelance journalist Laura Howard. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you for having me. And also making his debut from her football hub, we have Abu Yassin. Hello, Abu. Hello, lovely to be here. So we're going to look back to midweek then. Uh, the Champions League took place. It was um, it took place the same week as the men's one, so it maybe went under the radar a little bit more than it should have done. Um, but there were wins for Barcelona and Benfica in Group A. Barca winning 6-0 in Sweden against Rosengard. There were six different scorers in that one. And then in Lisbon, Canadian international Marie Yasmin Aliou scored the only goal as the Portuguese side beat Eintracht Frankfurt to move into second place in the group. In other action, Cadidiatu Diani scored twice as eight-time winners. Leon maintained their winning women's Champions League start with a home victory over Bran. France forward Diani opened her account with a six-minute strike before sending a low drive past Aurora Mikhailson in the second half. Ada Hegerberg, she fired home after snatching a ball from Martin Osterstad to score their second against her fellow country people. And then Justin Killand pulled one back for Bran, but could not inspire a comeback. Leon are now three points ahead of Brand at the top of Group B after winning their first three group stage games. And the other game between Sam Poulton and Slavia Prague finished goalless. On Thursday, Chelsea faced Swedish side BK Hacken. They had 71% possession and 22 shots on goal, but still could only draw 0-0, which frustrated manager Emma Hayes and Laura. Uh, it was a frustrating night all round for Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, certainly. I think um had a bit of a rough week, obviously, having lost to Arsenal and then going to uh, play hacking and, and only getting a draw. I think you do expect them to win a match like that. So certainly a frustrating night for them. And I think I think there's like a bit of, of, of discourse whether, you know, Emma Hayes leaving at the end of the season, um, whether that's like had an impact. Usually Chelsea do bounce back when they've had a defeat like Arsenal. So I was fully kind of expecting a, a real killer instinct from against Hacken and it just didn't really emerge so yeah really interesting result and and we'll see how they get on with the rest of that group the other game in the group saw group stage debutants Paris FC beat Real Madrid 2-1 that leaves Hacken at top of the group with Paris FC level on points with Chelsea and and that group is quite surprising isn't it Abu yeah very surprising you'd thought Chelsea would be walking away with it but like mentioned earlier, I think Emma Hayes, her leaving has had a big detrimental impact on this Chelsea scope, on this Chelsea morale. Like we know how she's a monthly figure to Lauren James. We know how a lot of this squad and a lot of the women's game in England looks up to her. So her leaving has just been a big shock, I think, to England overall. So I think that has reverberated with Chelsea and with their form since she said it, even though they did win 3-0 on the weekend. But yeah, seeing that the they're not top of the, the well, sorry, top of the table, it is a big shock right now. Group C sees the tightest group so far. Bayern Munich and Ajax drew 1-1. Paris Saint-Germain beat Roma 2-1. But Paris Saint-Germain remain at bottom of that group. Uh, Laura, I think out of the four groups, this is the most exciting and the tightest, isn't it? 
Yeah, for sure. I think coming into this one, I'd maybe have expected PSG to get out of that group and see them bottom kind of shows just how yeah. how competitive that, that group is. Um, yeah, and I really do think that like you've got four teams in that group and I still think that I wouldn't be able to tell which two of them would be coming out the other side of that. I'd say Bayern Munich probably are very likely at this stage, but between Roma, Ajax and, and Paris, um, Paris Saint-Germain, I just it's really hard to kind of pick which one will accompany Bayern. And even then, Bayern are only one point ahead of the rest of them. So you could still see a shocker and they not even get through at this point. So yeah, that's really shaping up to be an exciting group. Although I did watch a couple of the games from that group and they've not exactly been the most exciting games, as you might think from a really close group. They've kind of been a bit drab and I don't think any of those teams have like really fully turned up in the Champions League yet. So hopefully the kind of closest will make that group come alive a bit more. On to this weekend's action, it's the WSL and all the teams have now played their first 10 matches of the season and of course it is the last round of games before the winter break. Saturday at lunchtime saw the big North London derby, Tottenham Hotspur take on Arsenal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and Arsenal went into this game off the back of beating Chelsea last week and uh, would have been on the crest of a wave. However, it was a home side who won 1-0, a goal from Martha Thomas in that game and Arsenal had 31 shots but he couldn't find a way past Barbara Vitakova who was voted player of the match and Spurs have been out of form hadn't they? Arsenal in great form and Laura do you think the fact that we're playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium just gave them that bit of extra edge? Yeah potentially I guess the size of the occasion for Tottenham to do it in front of their home crowd at the big stadium was huge and you know, I still think Arsenal probably had a pretty good attendance there and it wasn't anywhere near what you kind of see at the Emirates, but it was a huge crowd compared to what potentially Spurs usually get. So, yeah, that's definitely potentially a factor. I think any kind of North London derby, having kind of drawn with Arsenal three all midweek, obviously very different sides that were put out there. But I guess that gives a bit of momentum going into that game of this team are actually beatable, that they're on a plate for us. And I think... Arsenal maybe run out of steam a bit. They put everything into that Chelsea game and you, you're kind of going into that Christmas break and maybe it was hard to kind of keep up the motivation. But I think I think Arsenal were thwarted. And I think, to be honest, Spurs just put in a really, really good game plan there and uh, executed it to perfection, just defended really, really well throughout that match and got their goal. Abby, was it one step forward and two steps back for Arsenal with this result now? I would say so because beating Chelsea, well, Chelsea are the creme de la creme of the WSL. They have been so for a long time. So beating them in such a convincing fashion at the Emirates was a huge result for them. And you would expect them to like steamroll Tottenham. And a performance on their performance, they did over 31 shots. They missed multiple chances. At least Russo missing multiple chances. But Tottenham just did a smash and grab, one counter, and that's all it takes. And you get punished. So I would say it is I would I would agree with you on that, yes. You're on the side of almost just scratching his head at how they lost that one, but are they a bit predictable at times? We've seen them at home. We saw them lose to Liverpool. Uh, we saw them only just beat Aston Villa. And when teams score first and sit in deep, they seem to struggle, don't they? Yeah, they've they've not. I still don't think they've kind of got their rhythm. I think the games that they've potentially won or done well in, I think Man City, they were very lucky to win that one. Um, and Chelsea was an excellent performance, but it felt potentially a little bit more of an anomaly this season. Um and uh, yeah, you're still kind of waiting them to really hit the ground running and going. I'm not. I'm an Arsenal fan, and I've never kind of approached a match with like 
oh, we're definitely going to win this one, we're definitely going to win this one, whereas you might have done in previous seasons. So I, I do think there's something that's not quite clicking at the moment, whether it's that they've made several recruitments this summer and the team is still kind of settling, or whether it's, like you say, becoming a bit predictable. I think certainly in the opening matches, there was a very tendency to rely on crosses, take it out wide and, and, and fire them in. And I think maybe there's, there's sometimes like, yeah, a lack of um, kind of, what's the word, like, um, ability to just do something unexpected because they don't like you don't take your corners quick they have very set routines and that makes it easier for teams to defend against them maybe it's Jonas Eideval's new um, wild haircut as well he's uh, looking quite hard <laughs> that haircut now and his short back and sides that he's got yeah certainly rocking it back to 2015 <laughs> yeah I, when I saw him I did think he'd gone all military a little bit hadn't he um, <laughs> But anyway, it'll be interesting to see how, how they bounce back from that after the winter break. On to Sunday's game and the early kickoff on Sunday. Another shock as Manchester United lost ground in the title race as Liverpool came away with all three points from Lee Sports Village after United had taken the lead through Ella Toon. And of course, last year, Manchester United won this fixture at 6-0. So it looked like it could be another route for United. But <coughs> Liverpool got themselves back into the game when... Mel Lawley's cross was flicking off United defender Millie Turner. It was given as an own goal, although Emma Corvista was in there, and it did look like a bit of a, a hand maybe in there. We'll talk about that in a minute. United struggled to deal with set pieces throughout, and in the end, that proved costly. Taylor, Taylor Hines was right in front of the six-yard box and just volleyed home under no pressure. Mark Skinner wasn't happy, Abu, was he? He said his side had a lack of desire. What did you make of his comments? I think... Time is on. I think Skinner's on the clock. Skinner is definitely on the clock. This is a team that should be fine for the title. But right now, what they're fourth place, but seven points adrift already at this stage. I think when a manager goes into the desire of his players, when he questions that, I think as a fan, I'm automatically looking at him and be like, "It's your job to motivate the players. It's your job to motivate them for a big derby." Yeah, they went one 0 up, but they should have had that ruthless killer instinct like they did last season when they went when they went and put six against them. And if you look at the game, Liverpool were worth the victory. They played well. They outplayed United when they when they took the lead. And they created multiple chances. It could have been 3 or 4-1. But, yeah, I think when Skinner talks about his players' desire, I think that's just, that's not a good sign. Because uh, as a manager, it's your job to motivate the players for these big games. And if you can't do that, then I think I feel like everyone's going to be looking at you. But, Laura, is it, is it like the Arsenal factor in a way they've still got the new players? Or is it too... Are we too far into the season now to say they've still got time to gel? Yeah, I think that's very valid. I also think that the other things that Mark Skinner said in terms of, I think he was talking about um, not having enough squad depth, which like you said, you mentioned the kind of a load of incomings during the summer. Like they really went out big and spent. And you think that would kind of ameliorate those problems and get rid of them. Um, I guess what he's, potentially saying is they are still a couple of seasons behind the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea you obviously have these bumper squads but to be blaming squad depth after the summer they've had is is slightly bizarre and I do think sometimes Mark Skinner's comments come across as a bit kind of blind because they obviously were playing Liverpool who have a lot less probably squad depth than a club with the financial power of uh, what, what Manchester United have pumped into their women's team so I, I think it's interesting I, I don't know maybe Maybe there is still, he's obviously suffered from a few injury problems, which is what he's also complaining about. But yeah, maybe it is a bit late for those excuses now, um, now at this point in the season. I mean, we're halfway through, aren't we? 
really hard done by an equaliser, do you think? Um, I don't know. I guess I, you can always argue for it. Um, and I think I think what happens uh, in the WSL is you'll you probably win some and you'll probably lose some. Um, and did they really deserve to win the match? I don't know. I don't think their performance necessarily did deserve it. So on, on the on the outcomes, I'm, I'm not sure. For Liverpool, though, Abu, I mean, last year, as I said, they lost this fixture 6-0 and uh, they've made great strides this season. They've said one at Arsenal. Still a bit inconsistent, aren't they? But that win again at Manchester United is showing that they've improved a lot this year. It improves a lot. I believe, for example, Skinner talked about his players' desire and mentality. I think you can only praise Liverpool's mentality. As when you go one down in a game in which last season you got pumped 6 0, you're going to think, oh no, here we go again. You would have well, blamed face When the first goal went, you could see him like rubbing his chin, going, oh, he's he's to say, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> Deja vu, here we go again. But the players said, no, the players, you know, regrouped. And on the, you, you know what, Skinner could talk about the handball as much as he likes. But on the basis of the play, Liverpool out, outperformed United, uh, shows how far Liverpool have come this season. You know, just overturning a result like that and, over to, and showing the mentality and their desire to prove that, you know, no, we belong alongside United, even though they have a much bigger squad. We belong with Arsenal, even though they have a much bigger squad and, much, and arguably a much better squad as well. We belong at this stage, at, at this level. So only we can only give kudos to Liverpool. It was uh, another battle of the M at 62 as Manchester City travelled to Everton and uh, they came out comfortable <laughs> winners in the end of did Manchester City. It was Khadija Shaw who scored a hat-trick and she also missed a penalty. And that victory moves City into second place above Arsenal on goal difference and three points behind leaders Chelsea. And it's been a good day for Manchester City, hasn't it, um, Abu, in terms of, or a good weekend, should I say, for Manchester City because obviously <coughs> they've leapfrogged both Arsenal They've leapfrogged Arsenal, they've pulled away from Manchester United and you almost feel now they could be Chelsea's closest challengers. Yeah. And it's so funny because every time I've gone to a game this this season, as when I've spoken to fans, they want Taylor out. A lot of players, I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of fans do want Gareth Taylor out. But if you look at his performances this season, against Arsenal, they should have won. Kiara Keane made two blunders and, you know, they lost the game, but they dominate that game. And recently, what they won four of the last five and Buddy Shaw's doing unreal. I believe they could be Chelsea's main challengers this season. And also, a word to Bonnie Shaw. She's actually, she's so, I don't know, she just seems like a step above everyone else when she steps on the pitch. Like, she's the top scorer now. And when I watched them last week against Aston Villa, when they came back down from 1-0, it seemed like Villa defenders can only employ what I call, if you know basketball, they employ the tactic called a hacker shack. Someone who was like seven foot tall, the only way they could, Stop him is to just foul him. That's the only way you can stop Bonnie Shaw. Like, I call it a hacker Shaw. You have to kick her, you have to grab her, and just like hope she doesn't do anything. And even after missing a penalty, she still managed to score a hat trick. So, yeah, I think CE has a great squad, you know, with the likes of Jill Ward, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, who's like a steam train on the right hand side, Bonnie Shaw up top, Greenwood at the back, and Hazigawa, who's like my favorite player to watch. She's like, she's technically, she's unreal, and she's like, always think three steps ahead of the opposition. I think they have the squad. I believe they have the manager. It's just up to them to prove it, whether they can, you know, prove themselves to be chances equal or better this season. Is it because, Laura, that Gareth Taylor comes across quite pragmatic as, yeah. a, as a person? Do you think that's why some of the City fans are a bit maybe wanting him out? Yeah, and maybe just like the 
the previous performances in previous seasons. Obviously, they probably underperformed last season in terms of not making the Champions League. And I think they've had slow starts previously. But I think this season, actually, they've looked really good. And obviously, they've taken the, like Abu was saying, in terms of the result against Arsenal was potentially unfortunate. But I do think, and obviously, the kind of spending that, they, that they've had this season in in comparison to potentially Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, they haven't gone out. They've just got Jill Roard. But actually, I think that is, like you say, really pragmatic. And I think sometimes stability, if you have confidence in that squad, can actually be something really positive. And I think we are seeing that with Manchester City this season, that they haven't had to have any of that transition. They've got a free kind of no Champions League season and they, they can go for that title. And I think that's actually really exciting from them. They've got a really sound squad. And I think maybe that kind of um, disapproval of, of Taylor might be kind of a hangover from a pre previous seasons where he hasn't been able to take them to the heights with that squad that he probably should have done. Yeah, so City are three points behind Chelsea. The defending champions won 3-0 at Bristol City. Uh, Lauren James came back into the starting lineup after being benched for their Champions League draw with Hacken. She opened the scoring with a wonderfully executed curling finish from the edge of the box. Aaron Cuthbert then fired in a 34th minute volley and Sam Kerr claimed Chelsea's third in the 59th minute. Uh, Neve Charles was sent off though. She was shown a second yellow card for a foul in injury time. So she'll have the, the new year off. So Chelsea, as I said, they've had um, not a great week losing to Arsenal last week. They drew with Hacken in midweek. Uh, this was probably no disrespect to Bristol City, but the perfect fixture for them. Yeah, I mean, I reckon I said earlier, like you kind of expected Chelsea bounce back after a, a result like Arsenal. Maybe you pre predicted that a little bit earlier against Hacken, but this was certainly it against Bristol City. I think it, it looks on paper absolutely the, the perfect fixture. Bristol City, obviously, bottom of the WSL. Um, and in many ways, it was. They got the 3-0 win. But I do think Bristol City potentially pose a tougher challenge in the sense that they've they've done really well against some of the top teams this season and been hard to break down. So I don't think it was necessarily as straightforward. But I think Chelsea have such quality that you kind of always expect them to win at, at Bristol. Leicester-West Ham ended one apiece in the end. Uh, Leicester were leading for a long time. Uh, Lena Peterman scoring again on the 68th minute. And um, they seem to have this mental block, Leicester, don't they? I want Willie Kirk mentioned it a week or so ago. Um, and this week he mentioned it again. He said, um, struggling to deal with the expectation. And West Ham were down to 10 men in the closing stages, but they still managed to equalise in the eighth minute of stoppage time. Hanoka Hayashi, the Japanese international, she scored to end West Ham's five-game losing run and, and lift them off the foot of the Super League table. <coughs> and Abu, that was a big result for West Ham. Yeah, it was a huge result for West Ham, you know, to get off the bottom of the table after losing five in a row. And to be fair, 98 minute equalizer. I can't think of many bigger things to raise the morale of a team. But hopping on back to Leicester, I've spoken to Willie Kirk this season and he was telling me he talks about, you know, they playing well with the pressures. Well he's well when I spoke to him, he was saying how his team have only performed in spurts this season. Like when I watched him in the Conti Cup, uh, I don't want to go into that later. When I watched him in the Conti Cup against uh, Man City you know, they went 2-0 up, they went 2 up and then they conceded two, but they still had that mental resilience to stick in the game and they arguably should have had a penalty towards the end and went on penalties. So talking about resilience, I'm not and the mental dealings, I'm not quite sure about that. I think it's just more about consistency, just the ability to grind out 90 minute performances instead of 20 minutes here, 
teammates there and having that resiliency to like you know grind our result towards the end you know because West Ham really shouldn't have scored that equaliser and when you talk about stuff like that I think the buck stops at the manager again like I said beforehand like if your team if you don't feel like your team's mentally mentally resilient enough or performing well enough it's your job to motivate them Final game of the weekend was the late kickoff Aston Villa <laughs> earning a narrow victory over fellow strugglers, Brighton to distance themselves from the Super League relegation. Fai Adriana Leon eventually broke the deadlock on 63 minutes when she cut inside from the right and squeezed a shot past Sophie Bagley at the near post. And Laura, a deserved win for Carla Ward's Villa side in the end. They finished the winter break four points above the bottom two sides, West Ham and Bristol City. And they've leapfrogged Brighton into ninth place. So do you think there's better things ahead now for Villa going into the new year? Yeah, let's hope Carla Ward can kind of kick on and, and get that team firing again. Cause certainly not where we would have probably expected them at the start of the season. I think shouts for them being like top five, best of the rest um, kind of position. And, and now they're almost, well, they're certainly closer to the relegation zone than they are to that position in the table. I think, I don't know. I don't know whether a, a narrow win over Brighton is necessarily the kind of indicator that they've they've turned a corner but hopefully it hopefully it can be and hopefully they can kind of sort out their problems over the over the winter break obviously Mars Pacheco also receiving a red in that game so they've been missing some key figures and that's not going to help like I know it's only a one game suspension but it feels like some of those key players to to Villa are really kind of having an impact on how they're performing so I think it will be really interesting to see whether they do pick up after after winter. And if not, I think there will still be potentially question marks over Carla Ward. Abu, have Villa sort of been a surprise this season in terms of not performing as well as we thought they might do? I think they've been, well, arguably the biggest surprise. The biggest surprise, well, alongside United this season as well, well both in bad ways. With Villa, you know, they currently have, well the player of the year, Rachel Daly, but even then she isn't performing as well as she did last season. I know she scored nine and 11, if I'm correct, but only four of those have been in the league. Five of them have been in competitions. And when I watched them against City last week, they they went ahead, but it seemed like afterwards they were just happy to sit back and try and, and try to hit them on the counter, which led to frustrations, which well visible frustrations with Daly and Dolly um, on the pitch. And against Brighton, I I would say they did deserve the victory with the red card, obviously, putting a bit of, you know, as a bit bad towards the end. But they did deserve the victory against Brighton. But whether but whether or not that is enough to, like, kind of keep them adrift of, of the rest of, of West Ham and Bristol, I'm not sure. Because, well, they are quite, they are turning a corner for three wins in the last five. But... I feel like they have been the surprise with how bad they have performed this season. Quickly, I know you mentioned the Conti Cup before, Abu. I mean, uh, we had some <laughs> games in midweek. How have you found the, the competition so far? I think it's been quite exciting this season, but my only gripe with the tournament, well, with the league, with the tournament, sorry, is the use of penalties after the 90 minutes. I don't, for that bonus point, I feel like that is, I feel like it's useless. I feel like I don't see, I feel like it's a waste of time in my opinion. Like, just play 90 minutes, give it a draw, one point each like you would in the men's. Why are you trying to make it more exciting? Why are you trying to do a random penalty shootout in the second game of the Conti, in the match day three out of five in the Conti Cup? Like, I don't understand that, in my opinion. I feel like it's a bit, 
useless. It's a waste of time, in my opinion. Laura, do you agree? Do you disagree? I, think, or... I, th- I think it's a bit of the magic of the Conti Cup, you know? I think that's that's what it is. It's just a bit of a... I think the group stage of the Conti Cup have a certain charm about them. And I don't think it has to make sense. I don't think it does make <laughs> sense. I agree with you on that. But I kind of like the fact that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's magic in the fact that it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like vintage, vintage women's football, that. It's like heritage. It is heritage, but I just, I don't, I've always had a gripe against it. I'm like, I don't understand it, but you know what? If it's, if it's heritage, I can't, who am I to mess with heritage? <laughs> well, the final of that is going to be held at Molyneux. Um, that is in, I think, the end of February, isn't it? February, March time. So we'll be looking forward to going to that, all being well. Uh, we're going to look at the championship and wow, what a, what an exciting division it is this season. And Dan Pentland, he sent me a WhatsApp yesterday. He's feeling very smug about himself because at the start of the season, Birmingham were near the bottom and he was going, they'll, they'll pick up. Not many teams, Laura, in the championship start off really badly and end up flying to the top, but it's that tight this year. Birmingham are now the team that spend Christmas at the top of the table after they won 3-0 away at fellow High Flyers at Sunderland, who've been a surprise package of this season. It was goals from Lily, Lily Ag, Jade Moore and Cho Yuri. So Birmingham, I mean, they, they, they've they been on a fantastic run, haven't they, for the last couple of months? Yeah, for sure. I think to, to, for the turnaround that they've had since, obviously, you said, kind of starting off not in the best kind of form and to now being top of the table at Christmas is huge. Um, and that's, I think it's just super exciting that the top five teams don't even have three points separating them. There's like two points between them all, which is just super exciting. And to get promotion to the WSL is huge as well. And it's really good that they are kind of all that competitive around the top because we have seen more lately the kind of trend of teams staying up when they get to the WSL. I think Leicester, uh, Liverpool most recently have stayed up. So I think that's really exciting that, that those teams are competing at the top and um, certainly it'll be nice to see I, I I mean I'm happy to see Birmingham City doing well but it'd potentially be nice to see a bit of a, a new face in the WSL as well Yeah and, and also um, in terms of the championship there's normally a runaway leader isn't there and everybody's almost fighting well I was going to say fighting for second but there's no prize for second so it's good that there is such a, a big battle at the top isn't there? Yeah certainly I think previous seasons we have obviously almost by this point known like oh Liverpool are likely to be coming up or Leicester are likely to be coming up and I think to kind of have this like not sure and hopefully it'll go down to the wire and we'll have a really exciting final day and I think that also will hopefully help to boost attendances as well if you've got that bit of added competition of I don't know whether my team are going to do it or not if it becomes a bit of a non-entity fight there's obviously not the same compellingness to go to those games so I think hopefully it will boost interest in that league as well and I think if you look at the men's game the championship is known as one of the most competitive leagues mm. so hopefully we can kind of get that going in the women's game and, and get that excitement around the league teams. Yeah Southampton could have been top at Christmas with a win but they, they weren't as we mentioned <laughs> it is Birmingham because they lost 1-0 up at Durham it was Amy Andrews's last gas strike there which gave Durham all three points Sheffield United they were denied a victory at the death as Charlton they were looking as though they were going to finish the year on a low, but they fought back with two goals to earn a point at Bramall Lane. Jodie Hutton and Ash Hodson had the blades in front and 2-0 up, but Karen Hills' visitors, who were top of the league at the start of the day, 
responded through Angela Addinson and Kira Skills to save their 10-match unbeaten run. Meanwhile, Reading's winless championship run continued at a 1-1 draw against Crystal Palace at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. Lauren Wade's second-half level earned the host a point after informal lease user put Palace ahead. Elsewhere, the London City Lionesses rode to a dramatic second-half comeback away at Watford. Lisa Fitzgerald's dramatic late level of salvaging London City Lionesses, a precious point at fellow strugglers, Watford. And our regular presenter, as I say, Kay, was there on Sunday. And here is her view of it all. From 3-0 up after just seven minutes to having victory snatched from them in stoppage time, Watford women were given another very painful reminder of just how tough life in the championship can be. Had they won, the Hornets would have lifted themselves off the foot of the championship table. A, that would have been a great Christmas present. B, it would have sent them into the new year with a boost upon which to build in the second half of the season. However, they ended up drawing three all with the London City Lionesses, um, a result that probably doesn't actually reflect the state of the game. In the first half, it actually looked like being a case of how far and by how much Watford would win. Uh, a lot of that was down to striker Michelle Ayamang, the 17-year-old Arsenal player is on dual registration with the Hornets. She's missed nearly all the season, though, after picking up a knee injury in the game away at London City back in September. And this was her first home game of the season. She scored a brace and then an own goal by London City had Watford 3-0 up after seven minutes. And they continue to pile forward. Really should have been out of sight by the half-hour mark. But credit where credit's due to London City Lionesses. They fought their way back into the game, went into half-time having pulled a goal back. Um, and then in the second half, they piled on pressure and enjoyed a bit more of possession. And then heartbreak came seven minutes into stoppage time when they scored the equaliser. Watford, can they take positives from this? Michelle Iamang, who I spoke to after the game, believes they can. They showed they have goal threat and attacking play today, which will give them hope. Um, but if they are to stay in this league, they've got to stop conceding. They've let in at least two per game on average. And that has to stop if they're to achieve their target of remaining in the championship. And after the game, Kay caught up with Watford's Michelle Andrewang, who scored a brace for the Hornets in her first home league game of the season. First home league game of the season, Michelle, and what a way to announce your return. Two goals today. What do they mean to you? They mean a lot. Obviously, I've been out for around three months now, but it's good to really be back with the team, and I'm happy to contribute to the team's performance today. Talk us a little bit through those two goals, if you can. Um, I think the first one was a ball out to Carly. She just crossed the ball in. I didn't even see it. Just gone through it with my knee, and got in the back of the net and the second one's a great ball through from Layla and then yeah missed the first one but was able to get on the tap and score an easy goal really but yeah really happy to contribute again great goals when you went off obviously the team were winning 3-1 can you take positives as a team from this game though 100% yeah I think we performed really well as a team obviously it's disappointing with the end result we've dropped two points but there's a lot of real positives to take because we played well as a team we got the three goals in the first half obviously it's not the result we want but we can build on it Next so you think you can use this now to kick on for the rest Definitely. of the season? Also in the FA Cup games that hadn't been played last week due to the weather, Luton Town beat Canesham to become the lowest club left in the competition. Their reward is a home tie against WSL side Brighton. Fantastic tie for them. And Ipswich beat Championship side Lewis 
Uh, so a shock there. And they host another championship side in Charlton at home in the next round. And um, finally as well, Laura, the uh, report that came out this week about uh, research showing why female players are at high risk of ACL and other major injuries. And it's basically down to, to more workload. I mean, are, are you surprised by the findings, really? Not really. I think it's we all kind of knew those kind of findings were coming. We've seen the increased workload um, in the women's game like rapidly recently. Um, I think there have been plenty of comments to do with that. Um, and yeah, I, I to be honest, I don't find it that surprising. I mean, I think is was it pre pre Tokyo that that I mean it's COVID right when the women's football really had their last summer off, um, and there's been additional competitions, increased interest, so much more intensity in the women's football we've been seeing played, and and the amount of it being played. That I don't think it can come as any real surprise, and especially as the kind of players that are currently in the game won't have had that. And I think this was a large part of the, the findings as well, that they won't have had that kind of S&C consistently throughout their uh, strength and conditioning, like consistently throughout their development, whereas men's players get put straight into those academies, straight into doing all that strength and conditioning that you need to uh, customise to that that workload. And women's football footballers now have kind of, had years where there's not been as much the season potentially been shorter less competitions and now the the rate of increase is huge and certainly not too much of a surprise I don't think but good to have it in writing and hopefully we can see that um have have some outcomes as well and that was that's only going to increase because there's rumors isn't there a second like a Europa League style competition coming in so it'll be interesting to see how everyone copes with that then finally before we go you two um we're not back in action until January the 13th because the women's game take a mid-season winter break. So what is your one wish for next year? I'll start off with you, Abu. Ooh, if I had a magic wand, what would I wish for? Or even like, yeah, or a New Year's sort of a, a New Year's women's football resolution. <laughs> in a All way. right. Um, okay. I have to admit, I'm from Birmingham, born and raised. I do want to see the ladies go up. That's my wish. I do want to see the ladies go up, you know, with a new ownership taking over the club. You know, the men's have taken a bit of a, you know, up and down with Rooney coming in. And to see the ladies at the top of their league, I would wish for the Birmingham ladies to come up. That's what I would wish for. Yeah, if they're going to fall on the men's team, they just got to sack Darren Carter now while it's going well and then put in... Oh, yeah, sack them and just get some legend to come in and be like, oh, you know what, you can come in. Why? Just because you were good before. I'd rather just get Jill Scott in just for giggles. Well, Harry, what what would your be? What would your one be? Um, I, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I feel like just a consistent run of form, not to have to watch them lose <laughs> to Tottenham, um, would be lovely. Um, but yeah, for women's football more generally, I know I'd like to see Luton get pretty far in the FA Cup. I'd like to see Luton mm. beat Brighton. I think that'd be exciting. I want to see how far they can get. I think that'd be the biggest oh. upset in women's football history ever if that happened. Yeah, 100%. for sure. And play at Kenilworth Road as well. <laughs> Kenilworth is tiny. It's so tight, so you never know. Also, I want to piggyback off Laura's previous point about the increased workload. We're seeing it in the men's game now where, for example, Madrid, four of their players got ACLs. We, as football fans in both the men's and the women's game, we're beginning to see these players, but well, we're not beginning, we are seeing these players as commodities for our entertainment. Just go there, they just kick a ball for 90 minutes. They can do that all the time. You can't. You need breaks. You need breaks in the summer. You need breaks in the season. You need less workload because then obviously more injuries which hampers the product and that's what's going to happen. But 
I feel that with this new deal coming into the WSL, we were going to have more competitions coming in and there's going to be a lot more ACLs. There's going to be a lot more injuries before, you know, there's any serious discussion when it comes to the player welfare of both the men's and the women's game. And I feel like that's a pretty sad thing, in my opinion, because we as I think it was this season where like or was it uh, back in last season where so many women's players got ACLs. It was like every other day you look from the news ACL ACL ACL. Like what's going on? And people were thinking, oh no, it's just to do with um their biology, the how women are made up, their biology, and you know their their bodies are different. But then we're seeing this game, this season with the men's former two players got ACLs. So many like Newcastle have like ten. 13 injuries you know you have 13 injuries every team is like decimated by injuries now and that's because of the increased workload yeah. treating them and almost like animals aren't they we are which you know like animals so slow you can kick a ball for 90 minutes and I, what i see online is that people are comparing this situation with their with theirs i'm like running around for 90 minutes high sprint stopping high sprint stopping high sprint stopping you're gonna get injury it's hard to do not everyone could do it that's why professional footballers are like 0.01 percent of society you can actually do it so people try to compare their own working situation with that. I just think it's, I don't know, I think it's stupid. And I think the more we see these players as commodities, the more injuries which are going to happen. And I feel like it's going to be, unfortunately, it's going to be a few years before we have a serious talk about player welfare and player engagement. Well, that is it. Please subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms. If you're on social media, give us a follow. We're on Twitter at TDBFP1. And we're on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Laura Abu, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. And until then, from all of us at the Women's Football Podcast, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2.